welcome back to another episode of Those Good Old Fashioned Values, the first and last Family Guy podcast on the internet. I am joined by my co-hosts, as usual, Andy, aka X underscore Anarcho Anon, and Ty, aka at Bobo underscore Circus on Twitter. I hope that you all have enjoyed the past couple of episodes. We're really pleased with the reception we've gotten so far. While we're recording this, only season one has come out. Uh, We're two seasons ahead, but we're very pleased with how it's gone over so far. And uh, today we're talking about season three, the last season before the show got canceled. I thought this podcast was going to go for a lot longer. Uh, it's fine. It'll it'll do fine. It yeah, it's unfortunate that the show had to end so soon. We'll be we'll be syndicated. Yeah. So uh, why don't we just jump right into that? Since uh, I think we all agree that there's not as much to talk about it development from season two to season three. Although there's still some stuff I want to get to. I... There's there's new stuff, but I wouldn't say the formula yeah. really got changed this season. Yeah. So why don't we just dive right into the history there? So Family Guy kind of in its first run existed on a knife's edge like the entire time. This wasn't even the first time it got canceled. At the end of season two, I believe it got canceled. And then at the last second, it got brought back for a third season. A lot of that You might expect like, oh, you know, it's Family Guy. It's a weird show. What's the appeal? Well, it mostly seems like from everything I've read that the show's cancellation has to do with it being like the time slots being moved around constantly. You see, since the pilot of the show had the privilege of premiering right after the Super Bowl and, you know, that was obviously huge. But after that, the show was nowhere near as lucky with, you know, time and it got bumped around in time slots like seven times. And back in the late 90s, you know, before the Internet, that was kind of like a death knell if you got a bad time slot. It's hard to build up a viewership if they don't know when your show is going to be on. Yeah, which is why we always release our episodes on Sundays. Uh, so yeah, that happened, and it seemed like the show was gone for good. I remember reading interviews with Fox execs and said it was a quote-unquote hard decision for them, which of course they'd say, but one story that did stick out was one of the people who was, like, responsible for deciding to cancel it, her son, I believe, was a fan of Family Guy in its initial run, so he or she had to come home and had to, like, take shit from her, like, you know, teenage son because they were the ones who canceled the show. That's delightful. I hope things like that still happen today where just network executives and that, like, people who are in charge of streaming companies just get shit from their shoulders. Why can't I watch my show anymore? That is a really heartwarming story. In case you all didn't know, How Family Guy got brought back, which is, for the time, very rare for a show to get revived like that, was it was a very, very fortunate period in time in many ways because, for one, the syndication rights got sold off and apparently, you know, they shopped around for all these different places to sell it off to. None of them really wanted the show. So they eventually ended up giving it to Adult Swim for, and I'm not sure on the source on this, but it was like basically nothing as far as show standards go. And uh, the show was an enormous hit on Adult Swim. The reruns were. And couple that with the fact that DVD sales skyrocketed for season one. From what I can gather, season one was the highest selling DVD, uh, television DVD of that year. And one of the highest selling television DVDs of all time. Back in the day when physical media still mattered, I suppose. Uh, Do you all have anything to add to this? 
Well, I mean, I think it's funny that Family Guy is arguably more successful than uh, on, on Adult Swim than literally any of Adult Swim's original programming. Not to say it's bad, of course. You know, I, I, I like a lot of Adult Swim shows over the years, but I just, I find that funny. That, like, Adult Swim's most successful thing is just Family Guy reruns. Yeah, no, I agree. That's, I don't know if that's entirely fair. They also get a lot of the mileage off of King of the Hill reruns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's back in the day when reruns were a thing that mattered. You know, now in the days of Netflix, like, yeah, reruns are just television. But, you know, back in the day, I remember coming home as a as a little kid and I'd have episodes of my favorite shows, TiVo'd, and they'd all be reruns. And I'd hop down and watch them, but... Never had TiVo as a kid. That sounds nice. Yeah, it was nice. I still can hear the sound effect in my head of when you'd fast forward through commercials. But anyways, uh, the reason why we're talking so much about the history is one, because it's interesting. Uh, The show's the cancellation and revival sort of is, as Ty pointed out in the first episode, is a really important part of the show's DNA. And next episode, we'll be talking about how the season four, the mammoth season, changed a lot of things. And, and before we move on, you know, the the show getting canceled and brought back, I also want to bring up, it wasn't just Adult Swim. It also, Family Guy also got lucky in that it got canceled right when DVD was starting to come out. Now, DVD is a medium. You know, it's great because, like, VHS, you know, was the, the first way a lot of people got to watch movies at home. But the problem with it is it's, it's a really small storage space. So, like, watching TV shows on VHS was, like, really hard because you had to dedicate, like, an entire shelf to just one show unless if you just want a couple episodes. So, like, Family Guy DVDs premiering at the exact same time the show meant that, like, you could get an almost complete collection of the first three seasons, which also really helped the show's popularity. Yeah, and it would just be, you know, a couple of discs. Uh, I wanted to say that, too, the other reason why we're talking so much about the history here is that the show from... We talked a lot about in the last episode the ways the show evolved from season two to season one uh, and the way the characters developed, but there's less of a difference this time around. Season two, I feel like, is the show really finding its groove and this season is in many ways continuing that it's not exactly the same i think we're all kind of in agreement that it might have been like one step forward two steps backward in a certain way yeah i would describe season three as this uh season three is family guy season two joke writing but with family guy season one episode and plot structure i feel like that's that's the way what i got out of this season where it's it, it's got like a lot of the same quality joke writing at season two but none of these episodes really flow well this season or a lot of these episodes just don't flow well there's no structure like and, and i get it you know that's that's what makes seth mcfarland's shows work it, it's the fact that he can just you know make a bunch of really completely disconnected plot lines but like as i i pointed out last episode when we talked about season two it's just like man this season really just does not care about episode plot is just things just happen in most of these episodes and don't feel connected it doesn't even feel like a lot of plot lines get get the sort of full structure they did i know it says it sounds weird to say you were a little disappointed in a family guy season but i think i was a little disappointed in family guy season three for me it just feels worse to watch than season two the animation quality i think went down maybe because they got their production budget slashed after they weren't doing good on ratings you know or they just kind of fell into that groove and weren't able to get out of it it just it feels a lot more lifeless than season two the animation quality is worse the voice acting is i mean it's been pretty solid from the beginning but i mean even then you can feel a little bit of like inertia there it, it just it it really i think is a less satisfying watch than season two and maybe it was kind of because they already knew that they were going to die 
the overarching feeling that I had with the season is that it was worse to watch despite the fact that I think I laughed more watching yeah. it than with season two. Yes. The joke writing, I think, kind of got refined in a sense. Uh, they were really good with, like, delivery and punchlines and gags. And I think also some of the characterization in, in the seasons that was built on season two, I think, I think is Chris a little is a better fun. here. It's just there are no episode plots. Yeah, Chris in particular is the biggest improvement in the season. I think they finally figured... I think they finally figured out what to do with Chris, and that's... He's kind of got, like, one joke, really, and that's that he'll, like, sort of fire her off just, like, an enthusiastic non-sequitur at an important point in time, and Seth Green is really good at that delivery, so... I think, for better or worse, also, I, season three, not, I think, is the first season where you really start feeling two things. One, uh, you start feeling a lot of the reasons in sort of that joke writing the episode pacing why Family Guy has sort of the negative reputation that it does because of season three, you, you can sort of feel in its tropes and writing. The other thing is, I feel like this is the first season where we're really starting to hit that quote-unquote modern Family Guy season status quo, where it's it doesn't feel like it's changing anymore. It's like, yeah, like season two still felt like an evolution in some way. This feels much closer to modern Family Guy, for better and for worse. I hate to keep banging on the Simpsons drum, but uh, the Simpsons it. really felt like it was like almost like very fluidly evolving until like season 14, where, uh, you know, this definitely feels sort of like a stagnation in a certain way. Well, Ty, were you going to say something? Again, if we're going to be beating on drums, I, I really do think that you cannot analyze this season without also really, I think, focusing your analysis around the threat of cancellation. Like everything from how it feels like they didn't have as much leeway to work with stuff and they just kind of had to brute force their way through jokes or um, something that I want to bring up in a little bit, uh, all the guest stars that they brought in to kind of, I think, keep it afloat for a little bit longer. I, I really do think most of the season's characters built around the fact that they knew that they were going to be canceled more likely than not, and that th they were making the show with that knowledge in the back of their head. Yeah, and and that is, I, I just want to say, I think that is true. But I also think it's interesting because um, season three, I feel like in terms of like introducing new characters, I feel like it introduced a lot more like consistent regulars to the show than seasons one and two did. That's like the one outlier, I think, in that sort of analysis of I mean, like I, they I were writing for cancellation. A lot of the characters they introduced became regulars. But I mean, you look at some of the ones you're thinking of, you know, Olivia, Bertram, oh, looking into this, uh, Seamus and Herbert are probably the two big ones. They are more, I mean, beside, besides more they are really kind of one-off characters in this who later become recurring characters like i think that that was a conscious post-cancellation decision on their part that yeah. really besides more who and and i think they give a little bit more attention to neil he shows up in i think four or five episodes this season um but i think besides those two it, it is really you're looking at it with the benefit of hindsight in that she i mean seamus you know a fisherman with peg legs for all this thing that is very much a one-off joke character that i think because they needed a deeper reserve of characters later became someone that they revisited and kind of fleshed out more that's one of the few times where it's like yeah no i'm actually really glad yes. they did because seamus is probably seamus one of my favorite family guy characters interesting but they definitely you know get stuff out of them they overplayed they, they herbert overplayed they herbert. overplayed but herbert for time, yeah i think he was yeah we'll get it 
I wanted to go back to what Ty said about uh, characterization and the show's cancellation in mind. I agree that the characterization feels a lot meaner, almost. I was taking notes on how the characters developed this season, and you see more of Meg as the punching bag. Oh, it's yeah. not quite at its nadir yet, but... <laughs> that's that's do... next time, folks. This is, I think, almost sort of the ideal, where she's still allowed to be, like, a character, and she's still allowed to have moments, but she's, like, perpetually put upon and it, it her treatment in this season isn't like out of line or unusual for the series whereas later it gets really mean and uncomfortable. it becomes her character she is the job of family guys bible similarly brian you can kind of feel some of that self-hatred creeping in some of that doubt uh we talked a little bit earlier i like about that how, a bit more with brian though yeah how with brian originally you know he's this cool wisecracking humphrey bogart type and as time goes on the alcoholism creeps in and the self-righteousness creeps in and as part of that the self-hatred creeps in and it's not like fully there yet but you really feel it i think in this season there's a reason that they don't come back to the psychiatrist again after the first episode a major brian episode and then there's you know lois even kind of gets to cut loose a bit more in the first episode i believe there's a joke about her yeah in the first episode there's a joke about her knowing like the exact price of cocaine which foreshadows really how good joke. I, I love Lois doing cocaine. Every time I think they come back to the, the series, it rules. Just because she's so nonchalant about it. It is really great when they kind of let Lois be uninhibited more and... Yeah. I think that was a really smart move on their part to shift her away from the sitcom wife to, like, the sitcom wife, but with a past. So, again, all these, like, character developments, I feel like all the main cast changed generally yeah. for the better this season. Like, like, Ty, you remember how Stewie was horny and gay last season you brought that up? He's really horny and gay this season, let me tell you. I, I think he's a little bit less horny this season, but about twice as gay. That's probably like, better. I had to do yeah. the math on it. Well, they also are still being, like, a little ambiguous with it. Like, they have, you know, the whole sexy parties joke and they have you know well i mean stewie i think still in modern family guy is bi but it's you know it's weird yeah i think it's one of those things where it's like they they do it with a lot more topics later but especially like right here you can see that's kind of the idea of the characterization is in service of the joke and i think that for a long time kind of stewie sexuality has been like at the forefront of that shift that the show goes through where yeah. like he is straight or gay as it serves the jokes that they want to tell. which And that later grows to be most of the characterization of, like, all the characters. But, yeah, I think that they lean into it a little bit more, if only because they have kind of the, maybe not the leeway, but they thought of more jokes that they could build out of that. But really, it's one of those things where I don't think they made, like, a solid decision on it because they don't need to. They also are really leaning back on, um, they like, you know, kind of back away from evil Stewie. Like, he's still there. Right. Which is good, because he wasn't a good character. Yeah, at the same time, though, we don't get a lot of inventor Stewie this season yet, which is, yeah. I think my favorite, like, remnant yeah. of evil Stewie is that he's still, like, a genius. I yeah, know, I agree. And I think, honestly, with Stewie, the best episode of the season is a Stewie episode. It's, uh, Emission Impossible. That's a good where, episode. Uh, that, that episode is really strong. It's probably my favorite of the whole pre-cancellation block. I can agree with that, yeah. That's really strong. Yeah, it's just... I don't know if it's my favorite. I agree it might be my favorite. I don't... Yeah, I agree, but I, it, it's probably my favorite episode of this season. Yeah, I remember watching it and being like, wow, the joke writing here is really sharp and consistent. But anyways, you know, as much as we're kind of ragging on the season because the structure is worse, the energy is worse, you know, everything feels more phoned in, 
The character developments are pretty solid. The side characters, though, are more of a mixed bag. Hold on. Bag. But before we go into that, I'd, I'd like to bring up something about Peter real quick. Because I, I think I finally realized something about Peter. So I listened to the, the, the first episode. Well, not the first, the pilot. But the, the, the season one episode we did. And I mentioned that, like, Peter's kind of the least changed from, like, his, like, pre-cancellation self to modern Peter. And I think I finally, like, watching season realized what the difference between modern Peter and, like, classic Peter is. And the thing is, classic Peter, I feel like is on a much more like consistent level of stupid where modern peter heavily fluctuates back and forth yeah that's something that i brought up i I brought up in my notes i don't remember which episode but it came up that peter did something where it's like yeah that consistency wasn't there and i kind of realized that i think we ragged on evil steve for being more you know a concept than a character but i think peter as kind of like the instigator of some of these plots i think works better when he isn't as consistent. yeah i agree i think he really does work better yeah when he's more a vehicle for gags he feels rigid yes i think that is a very good way of putting it yeah and i like peter's fluctuating stupidity in a way that it serves up some like my favorite jokes in the show where you know where he's giving birth and uh he's helping not him giving birth he's uh delivering a baby and the lois's sister is you know giving birth and lois is shouting you know push push and then peter says i'm trying he won't go back in (laughs) and that's like the level of variable stupidity that i enjoy out of him that that does when and not to get like too you know academic or up my own ass about it but but i think that it works more with peter than the other characters because like peter is kind of the propulsive force behind a lot of the plots of the show and i think that giving him the freedom to be whatever the plot needs for him to be at that moment is something that really opens up the writers to really exploring all of the possibilities that they can go to in a way that the other griffins who are more are there to ground the plot in actual character motivation. I I think they don't have that advantage that Peter does strictly because he is the family guy. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I also, one more thing before we go into side characters. I do think uh, season three, much like how season two was an improvement on season one in this regard, is better about giving like a consistent uh, amount of like subplots for the other Griffins to do. Like it felt like, yes. you know, most episodes usually at least had like a Stewie and Brian plot or like a Meg and Chris plot. There was always like enough. The season's way better about giving a bunch of characters B plots, which I liked. <laughs> I want to say, moving on to the uh, side characters before we jump into the episodes, they added a lot of new side characters, as we mentioned before, and that's more of a variable. I will personally say that on the good end, I think Herbert's introduction is surprisingly solid. Yes, I mean, Mike Henry has been really good at actually portraying him, like, from the beginning. I think it's just because they over- Watching this season, I realized my problem with with Herbert, which is that, going back to the Simpsons thing, he should be used as the show's Hans Moleman. He appears for, like, a one-off gag, and then he goes away. Herbert is not that. Herbert is a traditional B-plot character, and that, I don't like that about Herbert. He gets way too much screen time. Yeah, that is very fair, and I also think that's something we'll get into when he becomes more of, like, a focus of the show. I think they are sympathetic to him in a way that I do not think is something that viewers should be comfortable with. No. In a way, just like, like strictly, he is a child molester and the, that the show is more sympathetic to him than most of the other supporting characters it is odd to watch. With him, it's also, I noticed like in his big episode here is that he sort of has this very like angry and kind of prissy streak also. Like whenever Chris rejects him, gets kind of like indignant, which yeah, I think the, is good. The, the mask slips and I like yeah. that. 
when he's just like an old pedophile he's not really like that good of a joke but when he's like kind of a prissy gay guy we're underneath it i feel like that has more comic potential and this is kind of a weird through line because and i don't know if you guys agree but i think three of the show's strongest characters stewie him and quagmire all have that kind of streak and that is what makes them really i think the writers really know how to work with that which is weird considering how much mileage they get out of like uh, homophobic humor i can see that speaking of quagmire uh they really really turn up the dial on yeah, he's the... a full-on rapist in this episode, or in this I, episode you mentioned you know cancellation makes them cut loose i feel like this is where they're like all right we're done we're just going to make him just a fucking, like, Quagmire, I feel like, is a lot like Meg, where the later seasons found a way to balance him being a rapist without giving him other personality traits besides just having him be the worst person on the show. But right now, it's just like, Joe, please arrest your friend here. I, I agree with that, and I think that he does start to work when they get that kind of, you know, prissy, fussy side of him. But yeah, at this point where it's like the sum total of his jokes are just making joke like, Rufy coladas, it's like... You are not trying here, and the way in which you're not trying is really kind of disturbing. They end two separate episodes on the implication that he's going to rape a teenager. Yes, exactly. It's, again, I I personally don't have anything inherent against, you know, dark humor or... No. But it's not funny here it's just kind of weird and uncomfortable that, and that's i think that's something i brought up with mr weed in uh the season one episode where we have nothing against dark humor but it has to be humor you know like yeah. there has to be a structure to the joke or else it's just I, I don't know you're being like the kid at lunch who made dead baby jokes and it's also i think awkward because of just how major of a character our side character at least uh glenn quagmire is at this point in the show yeah yeah He's like maybe in the top three of supporting cast. We're going a little long on the first half of this. Uh, so I think that we'll start to wrap it up here. Any more thoughts on the season in particular? It's not a very remarkable season. I have one more note and it's something that I've had for most of the seasons that I hope, I, I think they'd start to fix it post cancellation where the editing is really kind of not great throughout these first couple seasons. It either cuts way too fast and like doesn't leave time for a joke to breathe or it leaves it for like a second or two too long and I, I think that I think that part of what makes the show tougher to watch is that the editing is just very sloppy. I want to I want to say I found it funny that last season on season two for my spotlight episode I decided to cover the family guy uh, episode wasted talent because I I was like man this episode has almost no structure like, it's just, I found it like a weird oddity of, like, season two's much tighter writing. And I'm really glad that I chose that now, because season three really liked that episode, and most of the episodes feel like that. Yeah. I can see that. Okay, so I think that about does it for the first half. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the episodes we've chosen to go deep on. Wake up! Wake up! Grab a put a little makeup! And we're back.
back. It is time to dive deep into the episodes we've chosen. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback and people wanted to hear more of like a kind of a plot summary to make it easier to follow along in case you don't feel like watching the episodes, which I don't blame you, especially since I usually choose bad episodes. So I'll try and be a little more clear for non-viewers in this section. I personally went with the episode Peter Griffin, Husband, Father, Brother, the 14th episode. Controversial. I went with it because it is an incredibly uncomfortable episode. Yeah. It's kind of a South Park type episode where it's trying to be like this really kind of I don't want to say like fierce commentary, but I feel like if you gave this concept to South Park, it would be a lot angrier and as Ty said, better. Um, yeah, South Park is a lot cleverer, I will say, in the writer's room. And they're also, again, they have like more of a coherent agenda. You know, it's, you know, the usual libertarian shtick, but like that's still an ethos. That's still like a belief system where Family Guy doesn't really even See, have See, I was one. thinking, you bring up South Park, like when I think of adult cartoons, the, the thing I immediately go with is, oh, hey, isn't there, there's an Aqua Teen Hunger Force episode where Master Shake becomes black. And that is handled so much, like, more tightly than this in that it is just, this episode should be way more one thing and it is just kind of everything. It's weird. Yeah, let's get into the plot description and then we can kind of build off it from there. Yeah, the plot of this episode, I'll just give a brief recap, is that Chris starts, you know, he starts talking street, as the episode says. And uh, Peter doesn't like that and... You know, Peter goes through this, you know, oh, here's our Irish heritage. And then he finds out that one of his uh, relatives, his distant, rel or not distant, but, you know, relatives from like the 1800s is black. So Peter sort of uh, gets inducted into the black community that way and starts asking for reparations from Carter. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Stewie, who, he sees who, the cheerleaders uh, and tries wait, to... Uh, so, sorry, let's... Before Carter, he is asking reparations from Carter, who is revealed that his ancestors owned Peter's ancestor. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you can see why this episode is a little uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. The B plot, which is really weak, is Stewie um, trying to learn mind control techniques from cheerleaders, sort of infiltrating them. That plot's irrelevant. It's completely. I, I don't even want to bother talking about it. It's only noteworthy for the ending joke, which implies that Quagmire is going to rape one of the cheerleaders, who is voiced by Tara Strong, or she got the gig on Fairly Odd Parents and kind of became the go-to girl of America. American animation next to Great Elizabeth. You know, this is a bit of a digression, but one thing this episode did have is it had a ton of guest the stars. Season, or... Go ahead. No, the, I, the season, maybe partially because they were trying to keep their ratings up, I bring people in. It had a lot of people who were, I assume, either big for the early 2000s or were, you know, well known voice talent. Um, the Black Knight in the episode where Peter becomes a Renatair Jouster was voiced by Will Farrell, who was just coming to the end of his SNL residency so pr a pretty big star there also something else in terms of that ratings that i, that I wanted to bring up for the first half of the episode but just forgot is that's probably why peter switches jobs because in the you know first two seasons he worked at the toy factory in the middle of this season which is really weird that it's in the middle and not like the opening peter loses his job at the toy factory and because man we die yeah oh yeah so the Toy Factory shuts down, which the this, this show could make commentary about, or like like more insightful commentary about like the death of industrialization in New England and the Midwest. No, uh, but instead, so Peter gets a, a fishing boat and has to pay off the debt, but he, he does by the end of the episode. The important thing is Peter switches jobs mid-season to work on a fishing boat, and I just find that weird where how that yeah, that's set up. Yeah, it's an odd choice. Uh, 
But uh, going back to the guest stars, uh, Will Ferrell was in there. Uh, they brought the original lineup of Kiss like twice in the season, which is kind of funny. Well, Kiss are yeah. always sellouts. They're just looking for excuses no, to yeah. be in things. But I mean, it, but it's just funny that like they they really leaned on that button. Uh, they had the whole episode where Peter was dating Jennifer Love Hewitt, who I'm assuming was probably big back then. I don't know shit that she's been in in the past decade, but they got Brian Doyle Murray in the fishing boat episode that Andy brought up. Uh, who, you know, again, don't know if he's a big star, but he's definitely a big name for voice talent. And um, they got uh, Walt Sean to play Bertram in the episode The Mission Impossible, which we talked about a little bit earlier. The, the goat, yeah. Also a very committed leftist and someone who writes cogently about uh, socialism as a concept, which, I mean, win. Wallace Shawn, uh, I think I'd put him in the same tier as like Adam West as like yes. best pulls the and show. And much like Adam West, it's always a great whenever Wallace Shawn shows up in anything. You know, the, the immediate role I think of is um, I, I forget his character's name, but just him and Princess Bride is fantastic. Physic. Yes. We got off topic, so going back to the episode, why I wanted to go through this one is that it's it's just really uncomfortable. Yeah, it, there's. I don't know. There's not a lot to say about it. It's one of the worst episodes of the seasons. The only things that I really wanted to bring up is that you see inklings of this bit where the running joke that you'll see in later seasons that like Peter and Lois's marriage is just completely dead and has been for a very long time. You know, in the early seasons, they sort of made it more dysfunctional. But here you can really see them just like just not even giving a shit about each other. One thing I wanted to ask about this episode, since there's not much commentary, do you think if Family Guy handled this episode today... Which, I'm not sure this episode could get off the ground in season 18 or 19 or whatever. Do you think it would be handled better or worse? Worse. Um, that's tricky because I think it would be handled, like, they'd try to handle it, like, more, I mean, at least with 2020 sensitivity rather than 2001 sensitivity. You know, as much as they may push back on PC culture or whatever, like, times change, no one... No one can really get stuck in a certain period of time forever. On the other hand, I feel like they would be more consciously pushing back against, you know, PC norms or whatever. So I think I'd put it at a draw. It would be less uncomfortable, but more irritating. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Yeah, my argument is that, yeah, I I think it would be worse if only because they would be paralyzed between that kind of tension where times are different, but also they still need to make jokes about it. And I think that would maybe lead them to something that we can't even, like, consider the angle that they would come at it. I also think it's funny that, like, Peter having a black ancestor is something that gets called back to on the show, like, a handful of times. And it's always just like, oh, man, you really like proud of that episode weren't you guys they really like putting peter in blackface in some of these early seasons it's weird i just wanted to say before we moved on to a different episode that there isn't a there's an american beauty reference in this episode there's two this season good to know that people were already making fun of that movie two years after it came out i love when a bad movie that was beloved at first gets sharp backlash Anyways, Ty, what episode did you pick out? So moving on from one child molester to another in the form of Kevin Spacey, I chose episode 12, which was uh, To Live and Die in Dixie, or To Love and Die in Dixie, where the plot of the episode is basically Chris is trying to impress a girl. If he gets a newspaper route, uh, then he accidentally gets a robber arrested. Uh, The robber breaks out of prison almost immediately and threatens to kill him. So the Griffin family is put into witness protection program and located to the Deep South, where it is clear that everyone there is really impressed by the fact that they have all their teeth and know how to read, which is a very 
fun bit of northern yeah. snobbery. Chris falls in love with, or becomes friends with another teenager named Sam. Uh, when Sam kisses him, he is shocked because he thinks Sam is a boy. And then it, uh, Sam reveals that she is, in fact, a girl who is wearing overalls, which is absurd. But uh, Chris grapples with his feelings for Sam. The prisoner, or the, the robber comes to try to kill him. Uh, but Peter and Brian, who became sheriffs in the sheriff's department, uh, which mostly involved sitting around and drinking alcohol and pissing off the various local figures, managed to, Matt managed to save Chris with the help of Sam's father, who is very protective of his neighbors in a way that was obviously meant to be sweet, but just felt kind of limp. Um, and then they all go back. Oh, and it, it also the first introduction of Herbert, which is kind of my impetus behind. So I guess the first thing we need to talk about is this is, I think, the first time we really get a sense. Well, you've gotten plenty of the idea of it, seasons one and two, but this is the first time that Seth MacFarlane just openly goes all in on his good, proper New England contempt for the South. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to point out is when I was looking up at this episode is that the director of the episode, not the writer, the writer is Steve Callaghan. The director, Dan Povenmire, uh, is actually from the Deep South. Yeah, you can feel that a little bit. Like, with the bluegrass joke, there is, like, it's not all hate, but it is... Yeah, there is this weird tension in the episode between the whole, like, you know, uh, I can't read, and, like, the sort of the ending, which is, like, we look out for each other. I would call this episode excessive. Not bad, but excessive. They kind of position, if, if I can get a little bit nerdy for a second, they, they almost position the Southerners like orcs. Like, like they are a proud people with not much book learning, but, but they care about their tribe. That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, that sums yeah. up this episode pretty well. Which, frankly, would be better than doing it about black people, which I could see the show doing equally as... Yeah freely we've already seen how the show handles native americans also uh yes. we got an update on twitter apparently in the 90s there was a very strong resentment in new england again towards native americans so that's probably why mystery solved especially casinos so there we go yeah i wanted to say that i at first thought that the show was i feel like i've seen this episode before uh catching up on the season but i couldn't remember the stuff with sam and at first i thought like oh they're gonna be make chris wonder if he's gay or not which they did to a degree and i was like that'd be kind of interesting to do especially in like 2001 and then it's you know just actually a girl so it's like oh well that's i think the episode would have been far more interesting had sam just been a boy the whole time uh spencer i have a feeling i think i know why you think you've seen this episode before and it might be because there's an episode from i forget if it's like season four or five or whatever but it's it's the episode where the griffins go to texas which very much feels like a sequel to this episode yes for when i started watching it i thought that was this episode oh no i think it would have been a much more interesting angle if they had something about you know being gay in the deep south and having chris deal with the sexuality i didn't expect it because it's family guy but it would have been a better episode of tv if they did I, i also think that part of the reason i chose this episode was because this is I think the first genuinely interesting Chris storyline, like episode that focuses mostly around Chris. I, I think that they kind of found the niche. Oh. Like they had a couple in season one and like early season two where he you know becomes an artist or he 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 goes camping or whatever. But but I think this is the first one that genuinely kind of works. 
works for him. And they also kind of redo this episode again when he does the uh, the the Peace Corps episode next season. I don't remember that one. This is a uh, this is definitely an interesting episode. The one more thing I want to add before we move on to Andy's episode is the whole witness protection program thing is taken straight from The Simpsons. Uh, I remember you know not the just whole The thing Simpsons, about... but one of the most iconic Simpsons episodes of all time. Uh... Yeah, Cape Fear, and it resolves differently. To be fair, but. Yeah, no, as soon as, like, the Witness Protection Program got mentioned, I'm like... There is not a joke in this episode as good as either Hello, Mr. Thompson or The Rakes. There, there's just not in this whole season, let alone the episode. I mean, if you could make an episode of TV as good as Cape Fear, like, I can see wanting to do that. Uh, they don't hit it, though. Well, we've talked about it before, and Cape Fear's, like, extremely digressive, cutaway-heavy style feels sort of like an indirect influence on Family Guy. It's the closest thing The Simpsons did in its golden age to a Family Guy episode, so I, I can see wanting to recreate that. But moving on, Andy, which episode did you choose? I did... Episode 7, Lethal Weapons. And I'm really glad that I picked that episode. Because it might be sort of... It's it's not a bad episode. But it is, I think, the quintessential Season 3 episode. In that sort of... There's a lot of good jokes in this, this episode, but none of it really comes together. So, to get into the plot synopsis, really. The episode opens with, like, the, the Griffins and Peter's friends, you know, the Swansons, Cleveland's, Quagmire, hanging out and enjoying themselves out in, you know, the New England countryside in its late summer however it immediately transitions to fall when when Quahog is accompanied by an invasion of leafers people from New York who come to see the leaves change the first thing I want to point out about that is not even like three episodes earlier they already did an episode where a major plot point was group of people invade Quahog and specifically the drunken clam and ruin the bar. I will also say as a shithead from New York I did not particularly appreciate the caricature. It wasn't the worst caricature I've seen from the show so far but it was just kind of like and eh, New Yorkers they're rowdy and obnoxious aren't they? Which is, I also want to say, this episode came out August 22nd, 2001. I am 100% certain if this was in the later half of the season, this episode would not have been allowed to air because 9-11. No, 9-11. Yeah, we've kind of avoided talking about that. But... We'll, we'll talk about it more in season four because that's when you really feel yeah. the effects of it on the show. Yeah, I really expected that to be a thing this season, but aside from like a quick shot of the Twin Towers, I didn't well, see I, much of it I think of it most here. of the season was produced before 9-11. I, I missed interpreted you i thought you yeah. were talking about like we're actively referencing like the culture of after 9-11 no, no that's that's not what you meant Spencer. okay yeah I, I think the new yorker stuff is better also i would at least say it's better handled than the english stuff because look if you know me you know i i love a good excuse to just laugh at the english for being ridiculous oh, they're people a, they're a terrible bog people they suck but like yeah. the worst people on earth see yes but the previous episode like it introduces them for, like, why are the, there are so many English people in Quahog to begin with? And, like, it, like, like they're just there, and it feels really weird and unenforced. This feels... I at least appreciate that there is an introduction for why it happened. I, w I will say, in Family Guy's defense, the idea of a bunch of terrible-looking, disgusting English people showing up somewhere and immediately taking it over has historical precedent. That is true. That is, that's one way of looking at it. 
Getting back on the plot, it turns out the Leafer plot is actually only the B plot of the episode, because the main plot of the episode starts when Bonnie invites Lois into her karate jojo to take some classes and deal with her anger issues. Uh, it is not karate, it is tai something. Yeah, uh, oh, sorry, taijutsu. 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 Very good, yeah, correct. But, but anyway, Lois initially doesn't want to do karate, uh, doesn't want to do taijutsu classes anymore. <laughs> because she she can't deal with her anger issues, but Peter keeps cutting her off throughout the episode. So, like, as a way of, like, dealing with it, she decides to continue because Peter tells her not to do it anymore. Because, uh, the coach corrected Peter because Peter's dumb and, and a pig. Then, Peter gets the idea to get the New Yorkers out of the drunken clam, their bar, uh, insults all of them in a repeated manner, and has Lois, and before they attack them, Lois uses her taijutsu to beat them up. And it's a funny sequence, but it's just like, okay, so that so then the leafer plot is dropped. You see that Lois, in the graduation ceremony, Lois fights her teacher because she's super aggressive now. So that transitions nicely into, can we talk about the rape joke? Do you want to talk about the rape joke? Yeah, um, again, we, we keep wading into, I kind of wanted this to be like a fun podcast to talk about, you know, a dumb show, but we keep wading into heavy topics from, you know, anti-indigenous racism to rape and... Lois rapes Peter in this episode, and it's like... Lois's anger is resolved. That rape thing is never resolved or even called properly attention to. Yeah, all we just see is it happens, and then Peter is, like, scared the next day, which is just... And he, and he starts eating Stewie's graham crackers to cope. So Stewie, like, says, I'm going to get something to strike you with, fat man. Uh, gets, like, a two-by-four, and when Lois is in the room, knocks him over, and Lois is like, Oh my god, I brought violence in this family. So then we get, like, uh, an episode focusing on Lois, and, and Peter's marriage, more of that, like, their marriage is completely dysfunctional that we come to love from later seasons. And and so they fail through family therapy, and it, it just doesn't work. So then Brian gives them, like, mood-elevating pills to sort of get them, you know, to try and get, like, a radical cure. And, then, and it works, but then it turns out they're placebos. So then Lois and Peter get in an argument, and the episode ends on, like, a big fight between all the Griffins, which is actually pretty well animated and fun. Th this show, like, surprisingly, maybe, like, bar one or two sequences, usually has pretty solid fine animation. You, you wouldn't expect it. It's surprising. I, th I think that might be what they save a lot of their budget for, is just the fight scenes and That's everything in fair. between. And then the episode ends on a Family Guy ending joke that I really like, which is that the, after the fight, they've all cooled off and are talking about it. And Peter's like, how dare the network put this violent trash on here? And, and Lois is like, Peter, Peter, don't, don't insult the network. And he's like, what are, and Peter's like, what are they going to do? Cut our budget? So then he runs in the other room to get a beer and he's just like waddling back and forth because they're like moving the frame around because they've cut the budget completely. It's a good episode. It also is kind of weird to think about when you get to the FCC episode next season. Like, they have almost the completely opposite moral. Anyway, I think you can see the reason why I picked this episode. This episode has a lot of good jokes. It has a lot of good ideas. A lot of things that could make for a great Family Guy episode. It can't pick one. It cannot pick a plot line to go through. There are four different plots, and it is a fucking mess. And I like it. I like a lot of it, but it is not at all coherent whatsoever. It's sort of the, see, it's kind of a good capsule of the season as a whole, where the joke writing is sharp, but the writing writing is... Bargain bin. Leave something to be desired. Yeah, I also uh, want to mention that, you know, there is kind of a brief transphobic joke in there. If we're pointing out every transphobic joke in this series, it's going to be a much longer podcast. Yeah. 
I just recognized that one since I'd heard that clip of him saying, you know, whoa, transvestite, back off before. Uh, Quagmire says it, by the way. Yeah, most most of the transvestite jokes, Quagmire at least has involvement. I did find it, I don't want to say funny, but I, I think that if they wanted to take Quagmire a different place, the better place they should have been is like, will fuck anything rather than rapist. They do that a little bit later. But... Yeah, because they have that thing where, like, when he realizes that this person is from New York is trans, he, like, has a moment where he's, like, pre-op or post-op, which, again, like, that's still transphobic, but it's a better bit of characterization for him than rapist. Also, uh, there was a Spike Lee reference in it where, you know, the white people in Spike Lee movies talk like monsters or whatever. Uh, people wonder why Spike Lee is so, like, fiercely angry all the time, and because he can't even make a movie, like, do the right thing and, which you know, get, like, you know, movie. supposed yeah. lip. Yeah, like, one of the best ever made and you'll still get like supposed liberals like saying like you're racist against white people for this well, over a decade after it comes out i might add so oh uh, yeah no that i think that does it for lethal weapons overall overall not a great season not a great season i i feel like everyone who says the show was good before it got canceled um needs to rewatch it well season two i think season two i think was really good i think there is some truth to that but yeah season three is like this is a step down i haven't gotten to season four yet but i have a feeling it'll probably be better than this i would assume so it's just not a great season of tv you can really tell that they're just kind of like losing interest i'm being entirely honest this is kind of a problem in arrested development season three also where again they know they're just going to get the rug pulled out from under them so they're just getting increasingly desperate i i haven't seen any arrested development have, have you ty yeah, no, I, I watched, through, uh, I didn't see the Netflix season, but I saw all the rest of it. It's a good show. Okay. Yeah, it's a good show, but season three of Arrest Development was in a similar place where got no viewership right. whatsoever. So they were just like pulling out all the stops, but there was also this kind of sense of rot in it. And you get the sense that everyone's sort of given up on it. I'm glad the show came back, you know, in part because now we have more of a podcast and we have this cultural phenomenon to deal with. But this season did deserve to get canceled. Like, this is a show that, like, yeah, no, not surprising at all. Had this show appeared today, it, would, it probably rightfully would have been canceled. With season two, I remarked at the end that, you know, I was starting to realize why the show took off and became a cult phenomenon. I still do get it, but... I would not be surprised if the rerun skewered more heavily towards season two than this one. Probably did not happen, but I would not be surprised if that was the case. I mean, people back in 2000 were also stupid. They did not have good television for the most part. That said, there's still a lot of strong jokes this season. In Mission Impossible, I think made me laugh harder than like any episode of the show did. There was a couple of other episodes where there were some jokes that were so good I had to stop and clip it for the Twitter account. Um, follow at tgofv underscore pod on twitter for updates and family guy funny moments but yeah I, I can't say i disagree with the network's decision to cancel it so i think that about does it for this season does anyone have anything else to add follow us on twitter i mean obviously you know we like to juice our follower counts and also uh I did not realize this, but Timothy McVeigh, in, during the Oklahoma City bombing, brought 2,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate fertilizer, which is, I don't know if it's more or less than I was expecting, but it's definitely not what I was expecting. Just like a full ton. So, to go off of that, I, I just want to say yes, follow us on Twitter. Give us feedback when the episodes go live. We, we, we appreciate all of that. Yeah, no, that'll about do it for this week. As Andy would usually say, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. That all you see is my